0: So, we are wrapping up our series, Gifts Fit for a King. Uh, I hope that you have enjoyed that series and and have benefited from it. I I have, and I hope the same is true for you. And I started off the series three weeks ago. I asked everybody a question. I'm going to ask you again. Who has not finished their Christmas shopping yet? Who still has Christmas shopping to do this week? All right. We've got a couple willing Uh, honest people to say, yep, that's me. We are those people uh, that save it to the end. Um, Who has already been thinking of taking out a loan to cover the expenses of the Christmas presents you bought? Who's like, ah, I went way overboard. Anybody go way overboard? And you know you did, and you're not afraid to admit it. Anybody? No? One person? Two people? Okay. Yeah, see, honest souls. That's what we're looking for. Um, The American... Way of approaching Christmas is like everything else we do, and that's uh, over the top. Um, that's that's kind of just the general thing that, that Americans do with Christmas, like so many other things, uh, that we, we go too far with it sometimes. And um, for 2020, Americans, on average, are going to spend 998 dollars uh, on gifts. And holiday items and, you know, expenses related to to the Christmas season. And that's down a little bit, but it's down just $50 from 2019. Um, So, I mean, in the middle of all the the pandemic and the economic struggle and everything, we've still found a way of spending on average about a thousand bucks you know, on, on Christmas. And by average, that means obviously that there's a lot more than that. There's a lot of figures that go higher than that to make that the average. And what a, a contrast it is. All that we spend and all that we give ourselves to in terms of the material aspect of Christmas What a contrast that is on on all those gifts that we rack our brains about and stress about making sure we get and spend so much money, sometimes literally going into debt over, um, compared to what Christmas is actually all about, compared to the essence of Christmas. You know, we, we spend $998 on gifts that ultimately don't fulfill and don't last. No matter how special or shiny they may be, um, when we compare all of that with the priceless treasure of the greatest gift ever given, the gift of Emmanuel, which is what Christmas is all about, um, it, it really should show just this, this stark, stark contrast in our minds and in our hearts That's the gift, the gift of Emmanuel, that we hopefully are united together in celebrating. That's the gift that no one could ever be worthy of, and no one could ever have enough resources to pay for that gift. Um, Yet, yet, it's completely free and completely freely given. That's, that's the gift that we're celebrating, right? Amen. And and even though it cost him, Emmanuel, and the Father who gave him everything, he willingly paid that price. Cost him everything. Cost the Father who sent him everything. And yet God the Father, God the Son, willingly, even joyfully, gave. He gave. That's what the wise men's gifts point to. It's what they proclaim. Um, they, they point to and picture the long-awaited promise, centuries of promises about the coming Messiah. They point to Him, and they, they announce and they proclaim, here He is. This is the one. This is the, the awaited promise. This is the awaited Savior. The promise has been fulfilled, and the Savior has been revealed. That's what the gifts point to. We've talked about gold, the kingly gift, recognizing the, the, the divine kingship of Jesus far and above any other king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We talked about frankincense, which pictures the, the great priesthood of Christ, that he not just offers prayers on behalf of people, but he offers the greatest sacrifice of all himself. And that's what we're going to be talking about today today that Jesus wasn't just the great high priest, he was also the great sacrifice that the high priest offered. And that leads us to the gift that we're talking about today as we wrap up the series. Yep, you're awake. That's good. Talking about, lastly, but certainly not least, the gift of myrrh. The gift of myrrh. And myrrh, Um, We're going to find that at the end of Matthew 2.11, and I want to read that for you. That's been our our key passage throughout this series, which focuses in on that moment when the wise men come and they, they find Jesus. And it says, entering the house, they saw the child, not baby, child, with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. The Absolute right and necessary response. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh pictured and pointed very prophetically, actually, to Christ's sacrifice. That's what it pointed to. That's that's the symbolism in this gift of myrrh: Christ's sacrifice, his sacrificial work. And myrrh, as as a substance, has three major purposes. It had, I should say, three major purposes, especially at this time, uh, in this culture, this context. And it was healing. That was one of the purposes. Um, Think like uh, an antiseptic, like a salve, uh, that would be applied to wounds. Uh, It had a numbing uh, effect and use. Um, Think anesthetic you know, like like an anesthesia, numbing pain, uh, and then it also was used for embalming. Uh, it was used as a sweet smelling fragrance and a preserving agent uh, for the embalming process. And certainly, all three of those uses point to and picture our suffering Savior. Don't don't you see that? Isn't that just so clear? Um, uh, healing numbing, you know, the anesthetic property, and then in the embalming. And before Christ went to the cross, maybe Mary, at being a good mom, remembered the myrrh that she had and that was given, and maybe she used that myrrh with its uh, antiseptic properties to uh, apply to and heal the wounds of, of the boy Jesus when he fell down like kids do, and he scraped a knee or scraped an elbow or you know, hurt his arm, doing typical boy things. I mean, imagine the creator of all flesh getting a boo-boo. I mean, but, but that's what happened. That's true. There, there's nothing sacrilegious about thinking along those lines because Jesus, though being fully God, don't ever forget that he was fully man. He was the God-man. And, and even as a child, a rambunctious boy, perfect, but still all boy, he would have still been the God over all the universe. Incredible. Incredible. And so maybe Mary lovingly applied the myrrh to his wounds. We don't know. We don't know that for sure. But I like to think of that. I, th- I like to picture that in my mind, her tenderly doing that. And, and I like to think if she did that, as she applied that to, to her, her son, her precious child, you know, nursing the wounds, maybe, just maybe, her mind went ahead to thinking of what was in store for her son, that she had been warned by the angel, you're going to have a son and he's going to save his people from their sins. And even though the angel never spelled out the cross and the crucifixion, I think of Simeon and his prophetic announcement to Mary as he took Jesus and blessed him and said to to God, now you can let me, your servant, depart in peace for my eyes have seen your deliverance. And he told Mary something very, very specific. He said, Mary, this child has a far greater destiny than you might realize. He's going to bring about the rising and the falling of many. The thoughts of all will be around him, centered around him, and a sword will pierce your own soul, your very heart. Speaking of the fact that he was going to suffer and die. So maybe that's where Mary's thoughts went. I I don't know. And of course, we have no way of knowing those kinds of details. That's all speculation. But what we can know for sure is that the, this gift of myrrh prophetically pointed to the torture, absolute torture, that Jesus would endure on the cross for us without receiving any treatment, without receiving any care, without receiving any compassion. He endured it all, all so that he could provide us, you and me, with the only cure for the mortal wound of our sin. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he went to the cross to endure, and that's what he did. And so, this gift of myrrh certainly points to that ultimate purpose for Jesus' coming. That's the ultimate essence of Christmas. The the whole point of Christmas isn't the manger, and we we would do well to remember that. The point of Christmas is looking beyond the manger. It's what was true of Jesus' whole point in coming, and His ministry, and His life, and everything He said was aiming towards, and, and rapidly going, moving faster and faster toward that culmination at the cross. Here's what 1 Peter 2.24 tells us. 1 Peter 2.24. The Apostle Peter writes, he himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin And live to righteousness. That's why he went to the cross, to enable us to set us free from the dominance of sin on our lives, to set us free from being captive to our sinful nature and our flesh, to enable us to be able to die to sin and live to righteousness. For that to happen for us, Jesus had to die for us. And he says at the end, by his wounds. You have been healed. And that, that's not talking about physical heal, healing. No, it's far more powerful than that. It's far more permanent than a physical healing is. As, as much as we like to be physically healed when we need that, I mean, that's great, right? We, we, we all want to experience physical healing when we have that need. But even as good as that is, we all can agree, physical healing at its very best is still temporary. Right? It's only as good as, and, and lasts as long until the next whatever, the next, next affliction, the ne- next wound, and then you're no longer physically healed. So, physical healing's great, but what is far greater is spiritual and eternal healing. And that's what Jesus provided at the cross. By his wounds, you have been healed permanently, eternally, spiritually. He's brought about your salvation, Christian. That's what he brought about on the cross. He was not healed on the cross so that he could provide lasting healing for you. And here's here's the other thing I want to make sure to to point out and for us to focus on this, this fact that Jesus, as the great high priest, he didn't just offer a sacrifice for sin, it wasn't just any sacrifice that was offered. Like the other priests did. No, he actually offered himself as the sacrifice required for our salvation. Not just any sacrifice would do. And Jesus, the perfect high priest, had to offer a perfect sacrifice to provide for our eternal redemption. And that meant there was only one sacrifice suited for that that was himself. So he wasn't just the priest to conduct the sacrifice. He was the priest and the sacrifice itself. Think of um, all the way back in the Old Testament with Abraham and Isaac. You guys remember that, that account, that, that part of biblical history where Abraham took Isaac, the promised son, and he took him up to Mount Moriah, which later would be Mount Calvary, by the way. And he, he said to Isaac, Take all the supplies with you for the sacrifice. We're going we're to offer a sacrifice to Yahweh. And Isaac did that. And he gets to the top and he says, Okay, we have everything we need, but, but Father, where's the, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham said, The Lord himself will provide a sacrifice. And Isaac there had to be some sort of exchange or some understanding of what was about to transpire because in the account, the next thing that happens is we see Isaac on the altar allowing, willingly allowing his father to tie him to the altar, knowing what's going on, recognizing it, and as Abraham is raising that sacrificial knife ready to plunge it into the body of his most cherished son, the voice from heaven calls out and it's the angel of the lord which every time he shows up in the old testament we can very easily and clearly with very little effort come away with the conclusion that it's none other than the person of jesus and he says to abraham stop don't don't harm your child i know you fear and love me and over in the thickets there was a ram caught that they sacrificed instead which was a powerful symbol and picture and a proclamation of the coming substitute sacrifice for you and me. And in fact, even after that event, it was, it was said, in the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And surely it was. Centuries later, where we see what we just read, Jesus the promised one the cherished son of the father coming to be our substitute our atonement in our place that's that's the miracle of christmas here's what hebrews 9:12 through 14 tells us and this is uh, again talking about not just the priestly office of christ but the priestly work of christ And specifically, the fact that, as I've already said, He was the sacrifice that He actually offered and carried out. Hebrews 9, 12-14, verse 12, the writer says, He, Jesus, entered the most holy place once for all time. And that most holy place, that's where every high priest before Him would enter once a year, but they had to keep doing it. Every year they had to keep coming into that most holy place to offer the atonement for all the people. It it was never enough just to do it once. Every year they had to keep doing it. And whenever they died, another priest took their place and they did it every single year. But notice what it says about Jesus and His priestly work. He entered the most holy place once for what? You tell me. All time. That was it all that was necessary. Why? Because he didn't offer the same kind of sacrifice. It wasn't the same thing that was offered. It was something entirely greater. Look at what it says. Not by the blood of goats and calves, like everybody else had done, but by his own blood. That's why he only had to enter that holy of holies and offer that sacrifice once for the rest of eternity because it was his own blood offered having obtained eternal redemption so the the goal had been met everything had been achieved the work was accomplished that's why jesus at the cross said it is finished because he obtained eternal redemption through and by the offering of his own blood Verse thirteen says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh the, the outward person, that's what it did, and that's all only what it did, all those sacrifices before Christ only temporarily. Offered purification, and it was only external. It was only the flesh that it purified. It never purified the heart, the soul, the mind. It never could. It was it was powerless to do that. But the writer says, if the blood of goats and bulls and and all that did that, it it temporarily, um, to a point, sanctified for the purification of the flesh. Verse fourteen. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, how much more will it cleanse our consciences, our inner person, the core of our being? How much more will it do that? Cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. That's what Christ's sacrifice has the power to do. It frees you from the the slavery of sin, so that you can choose righteousness, so that you can walk in holiness, so that you can serve God. Hebrews 10, 19-23. I want you to, to look at that with me and consider what is said there. Hebrews 10, 19-23. Verse 19 says, Therefore, I love therefore. Whenever that's in Scripture, it, it just gives this great follow-through. It, it says, because of this, here's what is true. That's what therefore means. So therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and just think about that, we, you and me, we now have confidence to enter the the holy places, the, the places that were always off-limits for the everyday person. The most holy place was only open to the high priest, and only one time a year. But because of Christ, and now after Christ, for all who are in Christ, now we have confidence to enter the most holy place. We have confidence to enter the holy places not because of anything we do, not because of anything we have, not because of any merit on our on our own or on our ledger, not because we're just that good. Look at what it says. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. Which happened, by the way, at the cross. When He was on the cross, right as Jesus breathed His last breath, breath, and spoke his last words. God's Word tells us that the great curtain in the temple, separating the outer court from the inner sanctuary, the most holy place, that curtain that had kept everyone out for centuries, tore into from top to bottom. As God the Father placed all of our sin on his Son, And as His hand put all of the judgment and all of His wrath on all of our sin, which was on His Son, it's as if the other hand tore the curtain completely. Right as Jesus offered Himself as that perfect sacrifice, the curtain tore. The way was opened. A new and living way into that most holy place, into the presence of God, into relationship with Him. Personal, living relationship with God Almighty was now made available and possible because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Verse 21 of Hebrews 10. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we talked about that last week. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean. Our hearts, not just our, our bodies. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. That's why we can hold fast to the confession of our hope, church. That's why we have full assurance of our faith. It's not in anything we know. It's not in anything we do. It's not vicariously through someone else in our family, you know, that we have faith and and confidence in our confession. It's not tied to anyone or any other thing other than Jesus because of his work, because of who he is, because he who promised is faithful. That's why you can hold fast to the confession of your hope no matter what comes your way, no matter what comes against you, no matter what life, no matter what the enemy, no matter what you yourself throw at you, you can hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. All because of Him. Because of who He is and what He did. And that, that's the essence of Christmas. Christ came to a manger so He could go to the cross. Christ came to a manger so He could go to the cross. That's why He did it. That's why He did it. And the gift of myrrh It just, it pointed to all that. It pictured all that. As a child, Jesus was was given myrrh and it was received, right? They they received it, uh, probably with joy and with, with amazement. I mean, it was a costly thing. As a child, He was given it and He received it. At the cross, Jesus was given myrrh, but it was actually rejected so that He could fully taste death for us in our place. Remember I said myrrh had a, um, a numbing effect. It was like, like anesthesia. And at the cross, we're going to see this in just a second. I'm going to have you um, look at this account. But it, he was given this, this substance, myrrh, mixed with other things, and it was meant to numb and dull his senses and numb and dull his pain that he was experiencing. It's what people did to show a little bit of mercy to those suffering on the cross. But as we're going to see in just a second, He refused it. He rejected it. When He realized what it was, when He knew what it was, he, he said, no, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to fully endure this torture, this suffering, all so that He could fully taste death and the judgment of the Father for us in our stead, without any numbing effect at all. Here's what Mark 15, 22 through 23 tells us. Mark 15, 22-23. The Apostle Mark says, They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Also, he could take the full brunt of all the judgment for our sin in our place. Finally, it was lovingly used myrrh was lovingly used in his burial john 19:38 through 40 shows us a very tender picture of people that loved jesus and wanted to honor him as was the custom of the jews of that time john 19:38 says after these things so after jesus uh, had been crucified after that took place Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, remember he came to him and asked him questions, and that's where Jesus said, you have to be born again. That was that Nicodemus. That's where John 3.16 says, comes from. Very famous encounter. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh. That embalming reason. That's what the other use of myrrh was, to embalm. It was used in burial. He came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. This was another great gift, a costly one. 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. So you you see the full circle here? Myrrh given to the child Jesus. Myrrh given to the suffering Jesus. Myrrh given to the buried Jesus. All picturing and showing us the whole purpose of the coming of Jesus, to suffer in our place, to provide and procure for us the redemption and justification, the salvation that we never could provide for ourselves. As you continue celebrating Christmas this week, as you see the Nativity as you see the wise men there where they shouldn't be, <laughs> right, right at the manger, look past that, look past that, give that a pass, and think about the fact that the wise men gave gifts to the one that is the greatest gift ever given. That's who they gave their gifts to the ultimate gift, the eternal gift, the greatest one ever given. And think about it this way, as you, as you think about that and you look at the wise men and, and you think about those gifts, and maybe as God recalls to your mind what we've studied here the last three weeks, think about this. Those that are truly wise will receive this gift, the gift of Emmanuel, the greatest gift ever given. Those that are truly wise will receive that gift with all their heart. That's what the truly wise will do. And in response, the truly wise give all their heart to Him. It's the only wise response. When you realize who Jesus is, what He is, when you realize the gift that is wrapped up in the giving of Him by the Father to us, when you realize that and you receive that, then the only wise, fitting thing to do is to say, Jesus, you gave all of yourself to me. Father, you gave your Son, the, the Son that you loved more than anything. You gave Him completely to me. I give all of me to you. That's the only thing that makes any sense. It's the only wise response. And here's the, the last thing I want to leave you with. This great gift of Salvation. Wrapped up in Jesus. The gift of salvation is meant to be re-gifted. The gift of salvation is meant to be re-gifted. Have you received this great gift? Have you personally received the gift of salvation in Jesus? Can you say with all certainty that the greatest gift of Christmas is yours and you've opened it and you know that You've claimed it. If that's true, great, great. Hallelujah, praise God for that. But oh, Christian, don't keep that gift to yourself. Do not keep that gift to yourself. Re-gift it. Give it to someone else. Bring someone else to the gift that you were brought to. And show them how they too can know it, open it, receive it personally. That's the whole point of all of it. I'm going to transition now and, and uh, invite you to do that with me. I, I think that we can't leave this kind of a, a focus and this type of a study, especially today's message. We can't leave this talk of the, the great sacrifice of our Savior without being very intentional to focus our minds in that direction. And so to do that, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And I just want to, I want to remind you that uh, this, this participation, the Lord's Supper, um, it's not something that's limited to just our members. You don't have to be a member of Faith Baptist to partake in communion. But it is very clear in Scripture that we are still to partake of, of these beautiful, pictures and symbols, these elements, the bread, the wine, where to do that as people who have, as I just said, personally received this great gift of salvation. Um, the Bible, the Apostle Paul, as he talks about the, the Lord's Supper, and he reminds the Corinthian church about how sacred this is, he says, don't eat and drink unworthily, because you will eat and drink judgment to yourself if you do so. So, translation, if you are not A genuine follower of Christ, you've never actually given Him your your life, you've not committed yourself to Him, then I urge you, please abstain, okay? Abstain from from partaking in this. This this is a a truly sacred remembrance, and um, it's not an arrogant thing. It's a word of loving warning that if you're not in Christ, you really should abstain, okay? But for everyone else, please, please, partake. And uh, as you prepare to do so, I would invite you just to even look inwardly, and, and if, um, if there's anything in your heart, your mind, that you've not made right with God as, as a believer, then I invite you to do that now too, okay? I'm going to pray, uh, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask actually the guys who are going to be distributing these elements to go ahead and come down. Uh, and guys, as you're making your way down, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, ask everyone else to go ahead and Just be in a a mindset and a position of prayer. Let's just quiet our hearts and our minds before the Lord. And uh, I'm going to pray for us. And as soon as I pray, uh, the guys will distribute the elements among you, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you for the gift, the greatest gift, not just of all time, but of all eternity. The gift of Your Son, Jesus. The gift of salvation in and through Him. The gift of access to You. The gift of a relationship with You. All by means of His sacrifice. Thank You, Father, that Your Son came willingly. And even as He was born and was in the manger... And even after he was a child, or in the midst of that, during that, while that was happening, while he was receiving these gifts from the wise men, all through that period of his earthly life, he still somehow was aware of his purpose in being here, and it was to go to the cross. And so, Father, thank you most of all for the cross. And that's what we now focus our attention on. That's what we want to remember. That's what we want to hold up and celebrate and proclaim together, that we have salvation not just because a, a baby was born in the manger, but because that baby that was born in the manger went to the cross. Thank you for that gift. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray.